Hey there, friends. You are on another episode of the spinoff show, the subsidiary of the Jock and Nerd podcast. My name is Anthony, also known as the Jock from the Jock and Nerd podcast. And on this episode of the spinoff show, I have on a wordsmith, a songwriter, a producer, a playwright, an author. This man is just a creative professional. His name is David Taylor II. Um, I got him on my show because he was actually a recommendation from Jason from Voice from the Underground. I listened to that podcast. He's had him on a couple times, and I've listened to those shows and thought, yeah, man, David Taylor is super interesting. I'm going to have him on my show. And uh, what do you know? I had him on my show. He's actually working on a children's book series that should be coming out pretty soon here called My Alphabet Is. We talk about that. We talk about race relations in the 1960s. We talk about uh, the current state of superheroes and the Fantastic Four and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Endgame. Um, I only had about an hour with him, but that hour, in my opinion, was really good stuff. I really enjoyed talking to David, and now you're about to check that out. This is the Jock Spinoff Show. And we are on another episode here of the spinoff show, and I am with David Taylor II. David, how's it going? Going just fine. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So I wanted to speak with you for a little bit, an hour or so. Um, you came up because of a recommendation from Jason Dutch from Voice from the Underground. Yeah, I had a great time talking to him. Yeah, you were on his show twice, and I've listened to both episodes, and I, I was like, yeah, this guy's legit he's he can he knows what he's talking about he's very thoughtful he's a great wordsmith this will be perfect i'm happy to be here thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem man um so yeah jason from voice from the underground told me to suggested you and then we we met via facebook but this is actually the first time we're talking um but you've been on other podcasts before right quite a few yeah yeah voice from underground force losers uh Rick Hart from iowa uh been on TV several times, so yeah. What is the um, David Taylor the Second elevator pitch or spiel? Like, what, what, what are all the things you do? Because I, I've looked at your website. Mm -hmm. There's so much, so I want you to do say it in your own words. I am a creative professional, mm -hmm. and I'm a wordsmith. So I uh, write comic books. I write sci-fi, fantasy, children's books. I uh, write music. I produce music. And I write plays. Jeez. <laughs> what don't you do? I don't play sports. <laughs> <laughs> you like, I'm looking at your profile though. You like football. I love sports. I just can't play football. <laughs> <laughs> what did, did you grow up playing any sports at all? Uh, I grew up with the potential to run track, but I really didn't have the opportunity. What's that? Uh, well, my father was sick when I was in junior high school, so I kind of uh. had to help him out. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, but you know that was about the extent of it. A lot of stuff I wanted to do, but who appreciates their youth when they have it? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't. You re you think that stuff's gonna last forever? I'm I'm 31, mm -hmm. which I'm still relatively young. But you, when you're like in high school or in like late in junior high, you think that's gonna just last forever. Like there's no. I didn't. I don't remember thinking about the future at all, or, or feeling like I'd felt that way. Like I'd feeling like I'd feel, ever become old. Well, you need parenting, and it's the hormones. People mm -hmm. underestimate the hormones. They make you feel invincible, mm -hmm. and they make you feel eternal. And you feel like mm -hmm. it's just going to be that way forever. It's not till you turn thirty that that begins to change even a little bit. You think so? That's when they when it changes for you. Thirty. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. <laughs> I remember it clearly. But, uh, yeah, so, but, I mean, you know, you have to enjoy uh, every stage of life. But if there's anything I would have gone back and done, I would have been, probably would have pursued my track dream yeah. a little bit more. Because uh, I was able to do some musical stuff, but that's really all I had time for during that time in my life. Gotcha. Well, what got you into uh, writing and, and creating and being a wordsmith? Oh, well, that's like, that's like my purpose, but in the 
practical sense, my father. My father introduced me when I was four years old to comic books, and I grew up reading the newspaper, comic books, and the Bible, and I still love all three mm-hmm. to this day. I mean, I love going to the bookstore. I love the smell of new comics. I love the smell of newspapers, even though it's rare nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love it. I, I love a physical Bible that you can write in. I don't really look up like scriptures on my phone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my dad got me into all that and told me he expected me to read at a high level. He expected me to excel. And I'm like four or five years old. So that got stuck in my head. <laughs> at four so, or five. Uh, and then, so I started writing around six or seven. I started okay. drawing wow. my first comic, some of which I still have, by the way. Holy crap. Still got them sitting uh, right in my living room. And, uh, I write poetry, and then I went whole hog into music around 14. What kind of music were you writing? Uh, I was writing uh, gospel music, mainly uh, church music, and um, everything's kind of grown from mm-hmm. when I was a kid, because I write all kinds of stuff now, but that was really when it started with my reading challenge. <laughs> At four, and did my first poems and artwork around six or seven. I used to come home from school and draw all afternoon. So I would come home, clear off a spot in my room or the kitchen table, and just draw until bedtime. What about homework? Yeah, I did homework in minutes. It wasn't a problem. <laughs> it was not a problem. No? Mm-mm. You had mentioned, I, I, I wanted to jump back into this, you had mentioned that writing was your, was your purpose. Is that how you say it? No, creating. Creating. Creating is your purpose. Creating is my purpose, but my main tool is words. But words, you know, are in just about every medium except, you know, stills, watercolors. Some things don't use words, but, you know, the things that use words, I tend to love them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, did you, when did you realize at what point that like, creating was your purpose? Um, I kind of knew it as a kid, but I got away from it because I had so much other family stuff to deal with. And so then I kind of came back around to it as an adult, mm-hmm. but, um, I had my own band. Uh, I created a couple of bands and choirs and I was getting my music outlet there. And then I just hit a point several years ago where I felt challenged. I felt like, um, I felt challenged in my faith mm-hmm. that I wasn't living up to all my potential that I should dig deep. And, and resurrect some things I let die and really kind of produce everything that was in me to produce. So when I did that, that's when I brought everything back in, music, poetry, lyrics, the whole thing. Because I've been doing some form of that, again, since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like I was a part of a civil rights play called Eye of the Storm that we did the first version of it in 2009. And it was about a contemporary of Dr. King's name of uh, Bayard Rustin a name that most people don't know. Yeah, I'm not familiar. But he, uh, most of the ideas of the civil rights movement came from him. But he was a really controversial figure at the time. Okay. So he couldn't be the face of the thing. So Dr. King was the face of the thing. But, you know, the March on Washington, the nonviolent protest, all those things came from Bayard. And so he's got two high schools in America named after him. What's his full name? I'm going to Google him. Bayard Rustin. Bayard Rustin. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's and, not a name you're ever taught in school. Exactly. And so, exactly. So that was the play. That's what the play was about, was how history had swallowed his name up and how that wasn't right. So he deserved to get the credit for the things that he did. But he's a very scandalous, controversial figure. Why, yeah, why? Is it because he was scandalous or controversial that he got kind of swept away under the rug? Yes, he was an ex-communist. Okay. Well, that, yeah, in the 60s and... Before then, that that was really uh, a big. They deal. were hunted. Yeah, he was an ex-con. Okay, he was gay, and he got busted a couple times with hookups in the park. Wow! Uh, and so he was. So he was doing everything against the book at that time. Right, he was a hot <laughs> potato. So <laughs> there was no way they were going to let him front the thing, but he was a lot of the driving force behind it. Like I said, they they tell his history in the two high schools that are named after him. And uh, it's just so, it was just so eye-opening for me. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I did research on a lot of 
black inventors, black scientists, black politicians. You don't hear a lot about African African Americans in particular in the mass and the sciences. Mm-hmm. And I found out so much researching that place. It was just one of the greatest things ever. The playwright was great. Our songwriting team was great. So I just had the best time. But it was really eye opening for me. What? When was this? Two thousand nine. So ten years ago. Okay. Wow, ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Are you just realizing? You're like, dang, that was ten years ago that we did that. Well, I've done so much stuff, but yeah. Yeah, 10 years ago. Huh. I remember in, um, I think it was in like maybe sixth grade, we, we had to do a project where we had to write some sort of biography, like some sort of, so pick a historical figure and write something about them, write like two or three pages about them. And I remember picking Malcolm X mm-hmm. and everyone in school was like, what? Like, what? You picked Malcolm X? Like, why would you, if you're going to pick someone to like, um, write about you know, civil rights and all that. Why didn't you just pick MLK? I was just like, I don't know. Malcolm X more just resonated with me more. Well, being, the thing about ahead. those two is they're like, that's what Brian Singer bases Professor X and Magneto off of. Right, right. And um, they were both right. That's the funny thing. Was I, 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 It was a long time since I did that Malcolm X stuff. Was he the, the violent one? Was yes. he as violent as... Yes, he was the one who said he wanted to meet the violence that was suffered with violence in kind. Mm-hmm. So, and then MLK was pushing the nonviolence. I mean, yeah, uh, I talked to a lady that was alive during that time, and she said the nonviolent approach was the right approach because she said when she saw so many African Americans being hosed with fire hoses and being attacked with dogs and being beaten off of buses. And they didn't fight back. They just kept trying to go on about their business. She said the sight of people suffering and still maintaining their dignity mm. just broke her heart. And that's when she knew that that segregation was, you know, an evil that needed to be expunged. It was really something. It is, I mean, those people were so brave. I mean, I don't, like, I can't imagine being, because I'm, I'm half Filipino, half Polish, so, and I look more Filipino than I do Polish. So I guess I kind of consider myself, I, I kind of identify with being a little bit of a minority. Mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine being living at that time and being that restrained. Well, you know, it's funny when they talk about race relations in America, they're always only ever talking about black people and white people. Right, right. So I always wonder what people of other ethnicities think because the whole, the whole thing is built on a lie. Slavery is uh, built on a bunch of lies. And the lies are deeply ingrained into American culture, and we're still dealing with them today. But in today's environment of diversity and inclusion, other people are stepping up and saying that, you know, my needs are real too, my dreams are real too, my people are real too. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, you know, it's like, a, it's like a very, very, very ugly secret that you keep trying to squash down, mm-hmm. but it keeps resurfacing in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but like I said, actually studying the history of black inventors and black scientists and actually studying the history of what happened during the actual civil rights movement is just a complete game changer for me because not everybody supported Dr. King. Some people, I mean, at the time he was a radical and he was, you know, considered a criminal and always being stalked by the CIA and a lot of people thought he was a troublemaker. He should just uh, leave everything alone. And was he being so, framed as a communist too? No, no, no? Baird okay. was. Dr. King wasn't. Um, gotcha. He was okay. constantly being tapped by the CIA though. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely considered an insurrectionist and maybe, uh, you know, boarding on treason or whatever. Because a lot of people believed and still believe that separating people by ethnic groups is from God. That it's the right way, so they felt like they had divine right on their side. But a lot of people where is said, that belief? What'd you say? Where is that belief coming from? Is that in the Bible? I'm not as intrinsically familiar with the Bible, but I don't, I don't think that's there. No, that's just something they made up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good enough. <laughs> no, that's not anywhere in the scripture. The scripture talks about how God made all nations of one blood, how we're all on Adam, we die, and in Christ we live, and how there's no respect of persons with God. And uh, in John catches the revelation of the end of the world, and he said he saw all nations, all peoples, kindreds, and tongues before God's throne praising. 
So that segregationist concept is not biblical. Okay. Not the way it's been applied in America. In the Old Testament, there was a line drawn between Jew and Gentile, but even that line was flexible if the Gentile was willing to believe, believe in the God of Hebrews, because there were a lot of e- Egyptians that came out of uh, Egypt with Moses during the Exodus. That wasn't all Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the Hebrews married Gentile people. Mm. So, you know, so that the whole thing that was done to Africans and African-Americans through slavery is not anything. It's not based on anything in the Bible. It's something they made up. And uh, yeah. that's why it's so hard to defend because there is no defense for that kind of cruelty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, man. It, I think back to like you mentioned too, like thinking about other races and stuff. And I, I never hear about what take whatever race hispanics uh asians what they were going through in that time you only hear about black and white i I would always be i'm very curious to see what how it was for other races well i like how george takei is always outspoken about his time in concentration camps when he was a kid and at the the uh, the internment camps Uh uh-huh yeah internment camps i'm sorry yeah and um the things that he has gone through he's very outspoken about that it's very uh relevant material uh it's very uh so you know, it, it just depends on whose story you're listening to. And the genocide of so many Native Americans, I'm also part Native American. My grandmother was Cherokee. Oh, no kidding. And so... Jeez, that's one of the most oppressed peoples right, that's in the right. U.S. So, I mean, you know, as always, truth is what makes free. And the truth of the matter is, is that America was built on privilege. And America was built to ensure that certain people had their privileges. They didn't like the way England was treating them because if you fell out with the church or you fell out with the king, it was the same thing that you could get stripped mm-hmm. of your position and your titles. So they wanted to create a society where there was no king, where government was diversified, where government was elected and not inherited through bloodline, and where there was no interference from the church mm-hmm. to where whatever your faith was or not, you couldn't lose your right to vote, your right to own property, your right to, you know, buy food, trade in the marketplace, build a business. Mm-hmm. They wanted to create a society that was independent of the restrictions that they found in England. And that's all fine and good, but they just wanted it for them. Mm. They didn't want it for anybody else. It was built on making sure that they retained their privileges. That's how America was founded. And when you create a society based on privilege, mm. Eventually, other human beings are going to stand up and hold their hand up and say, excuse me, we're human beings, too. <laughs> right. And we would like to pursue our own life, liberty, and happiness. And that's always the problem in America, is people standing up and saying, excuse me, we're people, too. <laughs> and we would like to pursue life and happiness. And somebody says, no, well, you can't do that. Mm. Why can't you do that? Because you're a member of this group, and around and around we go. So that's and where what- it comes from. I wonder if I had a I had a writer slash a history guy on the, one of these shows a couple of weeks ago, and he he theorized he was like, you know, where there were people when America was, se- you know, separating from England and they were creating the Constitution. There were people even back then that were like, let's just abolish the slavery and let's right. start like fresh. I was, I was, I'm, I'm I'm like thinking to myself like, that would have been the greatest experiment ever if we just started out this country and had no slavery. Yeah. Yeah. It would have changed the courses. It would have, yeah, that would have changed everything, right? So many things. And, um, but it also would have meant that, um, you know, people tend to, to divide up in tribes of classes, mm-hmm. and even places where they say there is no formal class structure, but there always is some kind of way. Right. And the question becomes then who does that labor? Right. If everybody was laboring for their own land, then yeah, the whole genesis of the country would have been different because it would have been Native Americans and European Americans and African Americans uh, just trying to grow their own whatever. And who knows if there would have been infighting in that anyway, but it would have been a bunch of diverse people trying to establish their claim on a, on a still developing country. Yeah. So we definitely would have been interesting. Yeah, I, re- I remember him saying that a lot of it was for economic reasons that they didn't do it. There were a lot of people that were just, in, especially in the South, that were fearing if we lose slavery, 
how much, how are we going to make money? Like, like who, who's going to do the land? Like who's going to take care of the land? Who's going to, who's going to take care of all the agriculture for us? That's right. So it's, it's unfortunate <laughs> to say the least, but who knows? I mean, I can, I can't speak for living back then. I don't know what the situation was. I, li- I would like to think I would have done the right thing, but you would need more than just one person. That's right. Um, uh, the, the let's get rid of slavery faction would have had to have prevailed and then come up with an uh, alternative solution, solution right. to actually harvesting the land and establishing everything that they wanted to establish. Mm. And um, then, you know, when you're, I mean, we, we haven't been a part of actually growing a country, but one of the things you do, you have to establish some type of imports and exports. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to do business with other countries if you're going to grow your economy. And you can't do that quickly without either human uh, labor or machine labor. And as we know, the Industrial Revolution didn't come to a long time later. But you have to have a way to kind of hurry up and get your product uh, to market, especially if you're going with the international market. So there are a lot of things to consider because all those things are still on the table now. It hasn't changed. So, yeah. I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, stronger, better, faster product, that different kind of thing, even though we're in the technology age, obviously, I don't mean we're still in an agrarian age, but I mean, people are still climbing over each other, trying to deliver everything as fast as they can, yeah, trying to right. up their competition. Speed is to, the name of the game. Right. You know, up their efficiency and come up with new things. And, you know, I mean, look at the, the landscape now, for example is now asking you for all these subscription paid TV services. Yeah. <laughs> you got your basic cable, but you got a slew of other services that all want you to pay just for their content. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big bill at the end of the month, man. <laughs> you got to pick and choose. I mean, at this point, it's more, even if you cut your cable, mm-hmm. it's almost as expensive now to, if you want every um, paid subscription. Right. It, it's... I'm very cu- I'm very curious to see who's going to end up on top by the end of all of this. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting too. The the I want to say the cable wars, the streaming service wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you um? Do you stream Netflix? I uh, no, no. Uh, I just have basic cable, and um, but I'm good. You know, there's there's enough movies, enough stuff I can access. I was going to ask if you. Cable, that's good enough for me. I was going to ask if you do the the Marvel shows on Netflix, but I remember looking at your Twitter. You're a big you you follow the you still follow the Flash, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you do all the CW shows? No, I used to, but yeah. ran out of time. I ran out of interest. So many, right? Right, and I do do the DC Universe streaming because I love Titan Doom Patrol. Yeah, I've I've watched the first episode of Doom Patrol, and I was really into that. Yeah, really, really love that stuff. I gotta I gotta check that out. So you only do the Flash? I used to do all of them as well: Arrow, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, and there's got to be too much. And Black Lightning, Black Lightning too. Yeah, Black yeah. Lightning is that still going as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That but first now, episode was good. I just I just stick with the Flash now. I don't really I really into the other ones, and you know, Flash has been really kind of disappointing too. <laughs> <laughs> has it been? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they have a. They have a CW formula, you know, the hero yeah. can't be a hero. They have to have a team. They have to have a posse. They can't think for themselves. They need to get permission. They go dark. They doubt themselves. They get talked out of stuff. They get beat up by enemies they should be able to take out easily. <laughs> They're full of anger and regret and blah, 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 blah. Now, n- not as much with Supergirl, but still some of the same idea, you know, you struggle to find foes that can go toe to toe with Kryptonian. Right. But with definitely with Arrow and Flash and then Legends has kind of become a live action parody of the genre. Mm-hmm. So they don't even really do costumes and code names anymore. They just go on wacky adventures and make fun of how wacky it is. So it's kind of like a live action Scooby Doo. <laughs> so it's not even, you know, the closest thing that's still in the spirit of a superhero traditional thing is black lightning is it still just him not really a team behind him or anything well him and his daughters but right. you know that's from the comic too right and yeah i has, remember watching legends for that first year and it was basically just a wacky time travel show and i think they've gotten wackier since then mm-hmm. so, you mentioned, i was gonna say you mentioned comics starting out reading comics as a kid what 
what were your favorites? What were your favorite superheroes? Oh man, Fantastic Four, hands down. Really? Yeah. No one ever says Fantastic Four. Oh yes, Fantastic Four, man. I really? Loved I loved them. Dude, they've I been getting a raw the, deal. I love the Human Torch. If I could be one of them, I would have been Johnny Storm. <laughs> Dude, they got a raw deal on uh, on live action. They, they've never, unless, unless you like them, and you can defend them if you want, but live action, they've never gotten a really good movie. No, no, they haven't. The, the one, the first one with Jessica Alba, mm-hmm. and Chris Evans, and Chickless, and, you know, and out of all of them, I'll say that's the best one. Not to say that it's a good movie, mm-hmm. but it's the best one out of the ones we have to pick from. Mm-hmm. But the reason that they can't get the Fantastic Four right is because. If you did a Fantastic Four movie 20 or more years ago, you know, things were still relatively new. Or I'll say 30 more years ago. But doing it now, we've seen people with extraordinary abilities on screen for so long now. You would have to focus more on why they're special. When they first came out, they were so revolutionary. Um, they had, uh, there weren't really, wasn't really a sidekick. Mm-hmm. There were four equal members of the team, and you know Reed had his his girlfriend slash wife as a part of the team, and she had powers too. Right, and they didn't have secret identities. So way back in the sixties, when they were first created, all of this stuff was extremely radical. But now that wouldn't mean anything, and so that's part of the problem they keep running into. They don't really know how to make them relevant for today's audiences, and the way you do that is. You take them back to their roots and you make them explorers. Yeah, you make them cool. scientists and you make them pioneers. You make them the first team that dealt with any level of superpowered anything. And you make them revered by the other heroes. So yeah, it, it cool. definitely can be done, but it's got to be in the right hand. I think you also got to play up that family dynamic like mm-hmm. big time. Because you've really got Reed do. and his girlfriend slash wife and then her brother and then Reed's best friend who kind of always doesn't like the human torch so you've got like that cool little family dynamic that you can really play up well see you know you have to go back to the original material i just had a long conversation about that on twitter this morning and a lot of people were saying original material doesn't matter but lee and kirby's original material is so rich the storytelling possibilities for example the fact that ben is jewish that has come Mm. out more recently but his faith has begun to pay, play a little bit more in his life. Uh, the fact that Ben was always secretly in love with Sue. Oh, man, I didn't know that. Right. And so Ben would never, ever, ever move on his best friend's girl like that. But he always carried a thing for Sue. Sue, in fact, was the one that talked him into getting into the rocket to go out there in spite of the cosmic ray danger because she called him a coward. Oh, wow. He got so mad, he said, I can't believe you're saying that to me. I don't take that from anyone. And I'll show you, but because he cared so much about what she thought. Does she know that? Did she know at the time that he liked her? Uh, I don't think so. I think she uh, has always seen him more like a big brother type. Uh, but it that, was always that, that very guilt, clear. Though. Yeah, it was always very clear that he carried a flame for her, but he, he would never, ever, ever, ever break Reed's trust like that. And that's why him becoming the thing made him so bitter and angry because he let. To challenge him, and then he got the worst end of the deal, and everybody else gets to at least look normal part of the time. Right, and he's the shape of monster, and all because he took it on the read for his uh, took it on the chin for his best friend. Oh wow, that that adds us another level to that character. You see what I'm saying? And so Man. they they went round and round about it, and Ben kind of lived like a hermit originally. They went round and round and round about it a lot in the early years because Reed was like like he was in the movie, like I'm trying to find a cure. But I don't know if I can reverse it. I don't know if this is going to make it better or worse. Mm. So Ben eventually grows into self-acceptance and eventually becomes the ever-loving blue-eyed thing that we know. But it was not like that at first. At first, he was very, he was furious and shut down and lived apart. And there was a rift between him and Reed all the time. And then uh, Mark Wade picked it up several years ago and did something brilliant. He said that what Reed did was he realized he made a bunch of circus freaks because they followed him into space. So he said the only way to salvage the situation was make them superhero celebrities, which is why they oh. didn't wear masks and to try to completely reframe this story. I mean, that's brilliant. That's interesting. Too. That's awesome. Yeah. 
So that's what I mean <laughs> when I say when you go back to Lee and Kirby's original work and you see uh, Johnny was a mechanic, but he always had a hot head and he was always one for showing off. They got a lot of that right in the film. And um, but Reed kept telling him the Fantastic Four eventually realized because they break up a lot in the comics. They eventually realized they got nowhere else to go. They realized that, that the experiences that they've had are so unique that the four of them are the only ones that will ever really understand each other. And that's why they always end up getting back together. Then there's a whole thing with Doom being introduced. Dr. Doom is one of, if not the greatest comic book villain of all time. Amazing, amazing villain. And uh, he was part of the inspiration for Darth Vader, George Lucas alluded to, and uh, so did David Prowse, and so did Stan Lee. And Doom is just uh, just an incredible villain. He hasn't been done right either, because Doom has a background in both magic and science. And it was his own hubris. Reed tried to warn him. Uh, Doom was trying to get into the nether dimension to find his dead mother. Reed checked his calculations and told him his machine was off. And Doom just laughed at him and said, you're just jealous because I'm smarter than you. And Reed was like, no, no, no. This isn't going to work. And Doom didn't listen. His machine blew up. And that's how he got scarred. Damn, I didn't so know that So then he either. had to go to some Tibetan monk. They forged that armor. and They put it on him live. They did not cool that armor. <laughs> they put it on him hot and sealed him in it. And he said, no longer is Victor here. Now I will be known as Dr. Doom. And that's why he hates Reed Richards, because he twisted it in his mind to say that, that Reed sabotaged him. Oh, man. Because his ego won't allow him to admit that Reed was right and his calculations were off. And that's why his machine blew up. Yeah, we've gotten some really crappy versions of Doom on film. See, that's what I'm that. telling you, man. There's such a rich history there. You don't have to make anything up. You can just go back to the source material and just do that. That's what I've been saying for years. <laughs> Are you, um, you know that Marvel bought, the, they have the rights now. The MCU yeah, yeah. Has the rights. yeah, I know. Everybody's come home. How do, so, how do you feel about, are you more confident now that they, they might eventually do a Fantastic Four and get it right? Well, well, kind of, but it's going to be five years from now at a minimum. Yeah, true. And the world is going to change <laughs> in five years because the world we live in now changes in five minutes. That's <laughs> true. So the, the presentation that they'll need to make, because you know you have to start working on a movie two and three years out. Right. So by the time it's released and it comes to market, people are going to react to it based on the state of the world at the time. Like, remember when Spider-Man first came out, September 11th, it just happened, so they had to take the Twin Towers. Yeah, I remember that. Out of the movie and out of the posters. And so, I mean, it'll be like that. So whenever they release Fantastic Four, we will have already had 15 to 16 years of Avengers and Avengers spinoffs. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll do the X-Men first. So because the Fantastic Four were not really established first in the MCU, then, again, it depends on how they introduce them. Well, maybe they could do... Have you seen the new... Uh... Have you seen Endgame first off, right? Yes, yes. And you, have you seen the Far From Home trailer? Yes, yes, I have. Okay, so spoilers for anyone that hasn't um, seen this stuff, but I'm going to mention some stuff. They already brought up the multiverse stuff. Do you think they could tie that in and have the Fantastic Four come from an alternate Earth that, where they've been the only heroes? And they're exploring and they end up over here? Possibly. Uh, it would make sense why they've never been mentioned. Right. And um, once you open up the multiverse concept, I mean, I was surprised as anybody else when I saw that in the trailer. I was like, really? <laughs> because once you open up that concept, it's not going to stop just with the different versions of Spider-Man. That's obvious. No, no, no. But there's no. a lot of things you can do now if you introduce the multiverse. But that also means, spoiler alert, that anybody that's died in the main universe, or if it's 616 or not, right. anybody that's died can come back. Or another version of them can come back. And they've yeah. done that on Arrow with Earth 1 and Earth 2. They brought, <coughs> excuse me, they brought Black Canary back through a Black Siren through Earth mm-hmm. 2 Laurel. So she's taking the mantle of the Canary because Earth 1 Laurel is dead. Right, right. So, you know, they could do stuff like that. I'm sure they're going to do a live action into the Spider-Verse with Spider-Man Far From Home. I'm sure there's going to be some section of the movie that's almost uh, uh, an homage into the Spider-Verse. I can almost guarantee it. Seeing that we're talking about the MCU, I'll, I'll state, since you don't, haven't ever spoke to me, I love the MCU. 
on screen. I'm a big fanboy for it. I really enjoyed Endgame, but I'm interested in your thoughts on uh, Endgame and, and the MCU as a whole. Well, uh, MCU as a whole, I think, has been groundbreaking. I think it's been immense fun. I think it's. I think we don't give enough credit to Blade. Yeah, man. No one, think, no one remembers that as one of the first superhero movies. Right. I think Blade is really the thing that really opened the door in terms of what we eventually got to. The thing that really made it pop, however, was Avengers 2012. Yeah. That was the first one to make a billion dollars. Yep. And once Hollywood saw that that kind of money was possible, that's what really catapulted us into superhero movies everywhere. Mm-hmm. But Blade really deserves some of that early credit, as well as, you know, the Raimi Spider-Man films, the first X-Men, all that stuff was early 2000. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the MCU, as we know, it popped with 2008 uh, Iron Man. And that was really a make-or-break movie. Uh, if that movie had flopped, we wouldn't have any of what we have now. Absolutely. They invested so much into that movie. And, and I think a huge that, risk. Uh, I think that most of the Marvel films, the vast majority of them are, are good. A few of them are extremely good. Like my favorite is uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Oh, that's fantastic. And I can just watch it over and over and over again. I love it. It's a great story. It's great characterizations. It's good editing. You get to see the action. It's not so much shaky cam and dark editing mm-hmm. until you can't see <laughs> what Cap is doing. And then they talk specifically about being sure that each one of the heroes had a unique fighting style. And I personally appreciated that. That makes the most sense. So you see Widow fighting a certain way. You see Cap fighting a certain way. You see yep. uh, Bucky fighting a certain way. Uh, Maria Hill, you know, the other agents, mm-hmm. Rumlow. So all that made sense to me. And see, that's when you pour that kind of care into detail. It makes a huge difference. What was cool about that movie, too, I mean, it's a fantastic movie, but in my opinion, that movie could eat in lesser hands could easily be a fish out of water movie where caps just joking. Like it's joking around. Like he does, he's so old school. Ha ha ha. He's in the two thousands, 2010s or whatever. And he's so old fashioned. Let's just make a joke out of this. But instead they're like, what let's take a character that has a very like black and white mind mind frame when it comes to good and evil. And let's stick him in a world where everything is gray and let's just see how the world reacts to him. That's right. That's right. And let's make him have to question everything he's been fighting for since he realized he came out of that ice. Right. And, and you know, let's put a snake right in the midst of the garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many good things they did with, with Winter Soldier. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I really love that. And like I said, I love the fact that the door is now open. Now, a lot of people are already talking about superhero fatigue and you know we knew that was coming of course that's kind of unavoidable but at least we have you know this content at least we have you know they're coming up with tv shows on the marvel streaming service in the fall we've got uh uh bucky and uh falcon falcon is wandavision wandavision uh, loki's gonna have one loki and now they're talking about hawkeye having one hawkeye yeah maybe hawkeye but there's still some properties that I want to see. Like, I want to see Alpha Flight. Yeah? <laughs> is that, That's the Canadian team, right? That's the Canadian X-Men. I love them. <laughs> Alpha Flight. Holy crap. I love them. I want to see them. And the reason I want to see them is because you have so many more opportunities because they're not as well known. Sure. So there's yeah. a lot more that you could do. You have a lot more writing room. Um True. I mean, that you saw that with Guardians. Those characters are nothing like the comics. Right. That was my first statement. I'm like, well, that's not the Guardians I know, but okay. Right? <laughs> I guess we're going with it. But, um, but I think Guardians had the, one of the biggest sources of mass appeal. And a lot of that is because of Chris Pratt. True. Yep. But um, I think out of, out of all the movies, I think that one, it did what it needed to do, but it, it could sit the best, I think, with non-comics reading audiences. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so uh, yeah, so I want to see Alpha Flight. I want to see the original five X-Men from the beginning. I've been talking about that for years. Oh, the, the OG five. Yes, yes. and I'm, because Was it Angel, Beast, Cyclops, Iceman, Gene, Iceman Cyclops and Jean, Jean Grey. Grey. Yeah. It was led by Professor X. And um, 
there's so much there. That's another one. Um, if you really want to do dark, the Dark Phoenix Saga, the Dark Phoenix Saga is based on the understanding of who Jean Grey was before she got involved with the Hellfire Club and before she went dark. She was the like a goody two shoes character, right? Right, right. The only yeah. way to do that is to kind of show who she was. And they haven't done that. For example, uh, and this is really kind of creepy, but back in the original books, every male was in love with Gene, including Professor X. Right. There's a panel where he talks about how he can never express his love for her. And now that would be super, super, super creepy. But, right. you know, <laughs> but every, you know, Scott loved her, Hank loved her, Bobby loved her, Warren loved her. And Gene was unaware. She was like the is, perfect girl, right? Not perfect, but vulnerable. Okay. And also ironic that a telepath would know she's surrounded by dudes that love her. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a cool. I mean, that's an interesting situation to write someone in. So that, so that basically shows how unaware, how unself-aware she was, and how she was just unassuming. Because some people, the reason they're so attractive is because they're so unself-aware. They're just kind of really cute and vulnerable, and not really full of themselves. And that was Jean. And so she was hesitant to use her powers. She was scared of her powers. She was one of the ones that would, would lose confidence many times in the middle of uh, certain things. And Scott always had to comfort her. She wasn't always sure how far to go. She didn't always feel good about violating people's mental spaces. But she was really not aggressive. Mm-hmm. And then when you do the Dark Phoenix saga, and she gets seduced into being the Black Queen. And she has this entire personality change. And She'd already become Phoenix and already become endowed with so much power. She didn't know what to do with it. And, and this happens. And all of a sudden, you know, so it's really the true Anakin Skywalker story. It's really the true idea of someone that was on the light side that fell to the dark. And it was a shock. Mm. That's the meat. That's the power. That's the emotional punch of the dark Phoenix saga. And we have never seen that. Yeah, I feel like we don't get in. That's the mistake they keep making with both of these dark Phoenix sagas is we're we're not getting Jean enough to not enough getting enough time to even know Jean Grey to feel anything when she turns to the dark side. That's right. That's absolutely right. I mean, every they're they're rushing to this because the Dark Phoenix thing is one of the big things in this comics, but without the without the prior knowledge of why that was such a big thing. Well, it's like John Byrne said in a in a recent interview. John Byrne said it took us two years to tell that story, so we don't think they can do it justice in two hours. Yeah, <laughs> I, have to, I have to agree. Yeah, some storylines you need. I mean, some storylines are just better suited for, you know, monthly comics. You can't. I don't know if you can fully tackle that storyline without a couple movies, really right. focusing on Gene. That's right. So my solution is always on HBO TV shows. Yeah, Hulu, yeah. uh, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because then you would have time. You could do it over the course of a couple of seasons. And again, if you go all the way back to the beginning, to the to the OG X-Men, you'd have some time if you had several seasons of a TV show to where by the time we get to like season three or four of Gene is just becoming Phoenix then, and then you can spend a whole year on the Dark Phoenix saga because I want to see the Shire Imperial Guard, which is right. like Marvel's uh, Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, I would love to see the Shire. I want to see the Star Jammers. I want to see Lalandra. I want to see the Hellfire Club. That's a big thing they've been missing in the X Men. Is they? I mean, and it's a big part of it is the you know the the oppression and the 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 you know being a mutant and what that means in the, in the world. You know, it's a it's a allegory for racism, America. But a lot of the X Men stuff too was exploration in space and being out there and, and seeing what's going to happen and this this the family dynamic of exploration that they they never hit on really. That's right. That's right. And Scott finding out that Corsair is his dad. Right. That they have another brother. And Havoc is my favorite comic book X-Men. Yeah. I love Havoc. Yeah. And when he first came out, he was tied to the Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. So they were, had a kind of a symbiotic relationship. I'd love to see that. And then the other thing is we've gotten to see a taste of it, but the true evolution of the Sentinels mm. and how scary they are and how scary they continue to become. And we've never gotten that. And uh, well, we came close in Days of Future Past. We got, so, we did get it where they're where they're just blast and mutants right in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and but it wasn't see, a lot, it wasn't enough. Yeah, I mean because again, we don't spend a lot of time with them. Right. 
But that's what I mean. See, so my stance is pretty much always the same. If you just go back to the original source material and make some type of adaptation of that, there's enough good storytelling meat there to where, of course, you can add in your own twist, whatever, but there's plenty of good stories there to tell. But a movie format is not the best format for a lot of this classic stuff. Mm. Like with uh, uh, Batman versus Superman, they tried to do. Oof, I hate that movie, the man. Dark, <laughs> they tried to do <laughs> The Dark Knight Returns and The Death of Superman in the <sighs> same film. In the same film, and the fact that both of those storylines are storylines that have that are so revered because of the years prior to that. Right. You're doing in this in the second film of a right. universe, right? Unbelievable. And when it happened in the comics, it was a major event. It was treated like it was a real thing, like it was on radio stations, and TV, and right? Everyone was dead, and they stopped printing the comic, and they took it really seriously. They went whole hog with it, and it was really something. Because up until that point, nobody believed that anything existed that could beat Superman to death. Mm-hmm. So it was this huge thing. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, Jesse Eisenberg Luther who should have been the Riddler or Arcade taking Zod's body in Kryptonian soup and making Doomsday. No, <laughs> no, no. It wasn't that. And it wasn't the Smallville version of Doomsday who was kind of more of a Jekyll and Hyde. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that. So that's what I mean, you know, taking time to tell these stories right uh, would be much more the work of a miniseries or a limited series. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'd rather see them do so we can get the full impact. And I think they would do better. I, I mean, I know people would tune in every week, you know, if they're well-written, just to see what happens next. Yeah. Because, again, there's enough there's enough uh, tension and conflict and... I mean, you, you see it with the, the prime example of this. I mean, it's not comic book stuff but the prime example of this is game of thrones millions of people watch that and they've had eight seasons now and it's the hottest thing on tv and uh it's all about storytelling right and that's what stan lee was about you know back in the day and he introduced so many great characters i mean i said it recently on twitter i want uh galactus to be the next marvel big bad yeah yeah, um, but I'm not, you know, I'm not opposed to Kang or... Morgan. I was going to say, it, it, I think it's leaning towards Kang. That, that yeah. would just be my opinion based on where they're at. That was my first choice when that question first came up. I said Kang slash Immortus, but now I say Galactus because I think Thanos is such a tough act to follow. I need, I think we did something on that level, but even greater. Yeah. Because Thanos was a threat to the population of the Earth. So we need another threat that's legitimately a threat to the planet, and that's more Galactus, even though, you know, Kang, but, but Kang, you know, has to be sure he's not written like Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> because there will be a lot of comparisons. I mean, his story is different, but I'm talking about in the minds of non-comic reading people. Right. The way they wrote Apocalypse and started him, you know, in one time period and blah, 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 blah. Right. So... But yeah, but I would like to see that. I'd like to see that as an introduction to the Fantastic Four, and I would like to see them save the world with genius and science and teamwork. Yeah, and, instead of just uh, acquiring an army, army and punching harder. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, what did, I mean, what did I you think of go, Endgame, real quick? Uh, okay, uh, I'll go there. Um, I have to go back a little bit to, to give go an ahead. example of what I mean. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, like uh, in Michael Jordan's heyday. Oh, yeah. What Jordan did was Jordan would save his strength, save his energy in the first half of the game. Then he'd have an explosion of 15 to 20 unanswered points in the third quarter. And then he'd just chill <laughs> because everybody else was so tired. And he, you know, so he played really, really smarter as he got older. And that's what I mean. That's the difference between a veteran team and a, a new young team that just likes to run and gun and it's all about power and blasting. Mm. That's what the Fantastic Four represent to me. Like the Michael Jordan Smarts. of comic book superheroes. Yeah. Problem like, solving rather than let's just get stronger. Right. Problem solving and they would know how to wait you out and they would know how to outthink you and they would know how to save their their power for one big blow in the third quarter and you can't recover as opposed to uh, transition to end game. They just try to beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him. And beat him and beat him and beat him and beat him, and they never actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of in game, um, quite frankly, 
And I know a lot of people are going to disagree, but I think Infinity War was a better movie. I don't think many people. I think I think actually Infinity War will get remembered as the better movie, but Endgame will get be remembered as the more emotional film. And the movie Endgame asks you to pay attention to your emotions and ignore all the plot logic. <laughs> don't think about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, don't think about all the plot logic holes and blah 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 blah. But I mean, I can't do that. You can't shut your brain off. Yeah. There's too many questions that come to mind. And so to be the end, to me, it seems like it created all these other things that now need to be resolved. So I don't agree with its hype that it was the end. It was just the end for some specific thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the whole thing about there being two Captain Americas, the Russos say that uh, it's the multiverse concept. So when we see old Steve, he came over from a different timeline yeah. and a different universe. Yep, I, I saw that interview. And uh, so, so again, Marvel is banking heavily now on the multiverse, which DC, you know, has long, you know, had different Earths or prices on different Earths or whatever. Right. But if that's the case, then that means that there's, you know, we, uh, if what Doctor Strange said was true, you know, is there a universe besides that one where Tony does survive. What about one? You know, if we can go back and we can get Gamora before she sacrificed. Yeah. We can get Natasha before she sacrificed. You can't have both of those. No, you can't. You I can't mean, they are, that, they are looking for 2014 Gamora at the end of that film. Right. And you can't say that Natasha's sacrifice is irreversible and Gamora standing right there. Right. That's and true. you can't say that you can't have two versions in the same timeline because we had old Nebula and current Nebula. So, I mean, it violates too much of what it's trying to get you to buy right in front of you. And don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, um, I also did not like the way they didn't have any type of memorial for Natasha. I couldn't believe that. Yeah, that's why I was wondering why that death didn't hit me as strongly as, a, as Iron Man's. And I was going, it's because they didn't really, they kind of moved on from it pretty quickly. Really quickly. And I thought that was a big slap in the face, as important as Natasha has been and has become over the years to the team. She's been there from the beginning in terms of the Avengers. We meet her first in Iron Man 2, but I'm saying as important as she's become in the mix, you know, she's the one that figured out during the Battle of New York that maybe it wasn't about anything other than, you know, shutting the portal. And she's the one that pursued that thread and she helped Steve get more information on Bucky and she did a lot. And she's the one that was able to infiltrate Pierce's office it felt really wrong having that girl moment that she was an assassin and that she had that face tech and i'm just saying tasha was an integral part of everything that happened so for them to not mourn her (laughs) yeah that's strange that was a strange that was awful that was disrespectful as far as i was concerned i was like really and then um i'm still i mean i just did a podcast where they all explained it to me but i i don't know if i accept it all Okay. I'm still not down with Iron Man's daughter being five. It's five years later. But when we see Ant-Man's daughter, she's all grown up. Yeah, what the hell was that? I don't, I don't <laughs> even remember You know how old she was. The last she, had time to been, she had to have been like six, seven, maybe, in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And now she's a teenager. I just don't. What? Right, right. And then they said that the young man at the end was the young man from Iron Man 3. Yep, yep. So the only explanation that I did, Bob, was that the chronological place in the movies did not coincide with when the movies were released in the real world. Hmm. So maybe more time had passed in movie time. I thought I read though that Marvel was like, when these get released in the real world, this is when they're happening in the, in the MCU too. See, that's what I'm saying. So there's no consistent theory. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. That's and a really then, good point. Um, you know, tossing Thor's hammers around. I was like, no, no. And you know, Thor Cap was probably the coolest thing in that whole movie. But how in the world is Captain America better at wielding Thor's hammer than Thor <laughs> himself? I heard I heard that from another person too, that someone was like, Okay, I don't have I don't mind him carrying the hammer. How is he able to control lightning though, right off the bat? Right. Right. And doesn't that make him rule of Asgard and <laughs> there's an inscription, there's an enchantment on Thor's hammer. Right. And so I mean, you know, so like I said, there's there's so much that the movie asks you to ignore and just go with it, and I just couldn't do that. 
Fair then that whole Professor Hulk thing, I'm like, I know that's straight from the comics, but you have completely destroyed everything that makes the character interesting. That's true. The most interesting thing about the Hulk is the Jekyll Hyde relationship. The fact that there's this rage monster down on the inside of him that he can barely control. He can't even die. He can't even kill himself because right. a rage monster will come out and stop it. And so he's a very tormented man living a very, a very rough life. And they got rid of all of that. And now he's dabbing with kids and signing autographs. <laughs> and I'm like, no. And then don't get me started on Thor Bowski. Oh, you didn't like it? No. Oh, no, man. no. They made the God of Thunder a joke. No. No, I don't like that. There was some underlying little things there of, of about a guy that fell off the wagon and feels responsible and let himself go. I understand that. But Thor, who was Thor when we met him? We met him as someone that was about to be coronated as the prince, the next king of Asgard, sure. and he wanted it. And then his father discovered he had such out-of-control hubris, he needed to be taught some lessons. Right. And that's what happens when you throw out the Don Blake persona, because I always wish we really had Don Blake. Yeah, we never We actually that. had to transform where Thor was on Earth and didn't even know he actually was Thor, because he knew he was Thor, he just couldn't do Thor stuff anymore. Right. But um, Thor's art, and then we saw him during Infinity War, you know, risk his life to create Stormbreaker. And, and we saw him in Ragnarok realize that the power was in him all along. And he had ascended to a whole different level, and they threw all of that away for Endgame. So, no, I didn't like it. Yeah, they, I mean, he was, at, he was a hot character coming out of Ra- Ragnarok back-to-back right. back with Infinity War. I mean, a lot, I've, I've heard of this, this uh, critique, too, so it's not surprising that it's coming from you that they, they kind of... Bungled Thor a little bit. I, I enjoyed. I enjoy. I, I just could relate to it a little bit because I could. I was just thinking like, if, for instance, the only way I could relate to that would be like if I was in a basketball game and I had a chance to make a game-winning layup and I missed and it was for the championship, like that would eat away at me. I think I would. I, I don't know if I'd get fat, but it, that would eat at me for a long time. And I think that's just what they were getting at with Thor. Maybe the execution was a little, yeah, a little haphazard. Yeah, I, I understood <laughs> the concept, but the execution, you know, he just. He just pouted and withdrew. Right. And just, you know, just became some dude in his underwear drinking beer. <laughs> Playing no, Fortnite. No, no, not, not at one point in your career when you were ready to rule the Asgardian kingdom and you thought you deserved it. I mean, right. they, they just, they just destroyed him as far as I'm concerned. But I mean, you know, yeah. that might be extreme for some people, but. Um, well, he's going to be with the Asgard or the Guardians now, so. The Asgardians of the Galaxy. Right, yeah. right. How are you on uh, time? Do you got a couple more minutes? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I wanted and, uh, to go ahead. Sorry. So yeah, so like I said, but the, the big thing, you know, how does Cap? Why doesn't Cap remember fighting himself in the hallway? And also, if Cap knows that Bucky's alive, if he believed that, mm-hmm. that changes everything. He would right. go after them. That would change Winter Soldier. That changes everything. But that Russo said that because he was when he went back to Peggy, that was an alternate timeline that they started to create a branch timeline. Mm-hmm. So they they basically said, well, how do you know he didn't go and change things like save Bucky, change the war, the face of the war, or, uh, you know, eliminate the fact that JFK got assassinated, all those things. And that's exactly my point. Endgame actually opens up more than it ends. Sure, that's true. And so, you know, now we want to see some of that life with Peggy because does she still create S.H.I.E.L.D.? Right. And if this is in a different universe, is he still Captain America in that universe? That's true, too. And, you know, and he had to come out of that universe to come to give the shield to Sam. And so, you know, in the comics, Bucky got the shield first. Right. Which made a little bit more sense because Bucky was a super soldier like Cap. So, you know, they, they do some things differently with Sam. And then, you know, uh, the, the also biggest glaring omission for Endgame for me was the fact that Vision did not come back. Yeah, they didn't bring him back. I guess I guess if you die before the snap, you you're gone forever, unless you're Gamora. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we know he's coming back for the TV show. I wonder how that's going to go. So maybe the show will be about Wanda insisting that he gets rebuilt, but I think he's going to come back without a soul, like mm-hmm. he does in the comics. Because at one point in the comics, when Vision is resurrected, he doesn't have a soul and he doesn't remember his relationship with Wanda, and that <laughs> completely freaks her out. And I think that might be part of the plot line for this show. But now you want to see what's going on with Hawkeye. See, we got, 
one of the better versions of Hawkeye. We got Ronan for about two seconds. Yeah, we only got him for a, a cool fight scene in Japan, a cool one-camera shot in Japan, and then and immediately then Nick, turns back. shows up and talks him out of it. Right. So, you know, so that's what I'm saying. It, it created so many more things that we now would like to see. We also want to see, in the second Doctor Strange movie, we want to see what the Ancient One theorized was actually true. If Captain America went back and put all the stones where they were supposed to be, does that mean that the first timeline that the Ancient One wanted to protect actually still unfolded like it did the first time? Or were there subtle changes? Or, you know, was the theory correct? That's right. what we want to see. Well, without the, the thing is, too, is in that timeline that Doctor Strange is currently in, as um, the Ancient One mentions, without the Infinity Stones, that opens up portals and other dimensions, which is in turn creating a multiverse. So we might, I mean, we might see that. I personally, I liked the Baron Mordo stuff in the first Doctor Strange, so I hope we get back to that too. Because he even talks about you screw with the time zone. I'm paraphrasing. Screw with time, you create pocket dimensions and alternate realities. You're screwing things up when you mess around with time, and they've they've messed with time in a big way up to this point. That's right. So we'll see how it goes. Um, before we go, I wanted to just give you some time. What are you currently working on? What's what's going on for you? Oh my goodness! What am I currently <laughs> working on? I, I know um, the first thing I see on your website is is children's books. Right, I'm doing a big release uh, next week. Okay, for a series called My Alphabet Is, and I've got five different ways, creative ways to learn your ABCs. But I try to do some unique things. One of them, I have something called My Alphabet Is Musical, and I actually use musical terms to teach ABCs. So, like A is for accidental. B is for bass clef, C is for chords, oh, D is clever. for dissonance, stuff like that. Nobody does that. And I was like, I want to finally have a book for us because I'm a musician. I said, nobody ever writes anything for us, and I don't like it. So, <laughs> so you're going to so do I something wrote, about it. <laughs> yeah, so I wrote, uh, I wrote that book, but I also have one called My Alphabet is Super. And I have 26 superpowers to teach you your ABC. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I, yeah, so I wrote that, you know, and uh, I'm super excited about that one. And um, I got little pictures go along with it and everything. So I'm just really, really happy. And I hope uh, I can find some geek parents who want to teach their kids ABCs. And, you know, we can do it with uh, A is for air powers, B is for blaster powers, C is for chronometrics, you can stop time, stuff like that. Wow. So I'm super excited about that. When, when is the date of those releasing? Uh, uh, official release is Tuesday. May 14th. May 14th. And, and how can people get that stuff? Uh, I'm going to do a Facebook Live. Okay. So you can find me on Facebook Live. But also, I'm giving away the ebooks for free for one day. Okay. So you can get the free ebook copy. I'm still selling the print book copies, but you can get the free ebook copies uh, all day on Tuesday on the 14th. And the Facebook Live is just going to be off your, your personal Facebook? Well, I'm going to start it on my DT Author Facebook, but I'm okay. going to share it on my personal. So, yeah. I what, a lot more people can tune in when I do it through my personal. Okay. So, yeah. What's the um, DT author Facebook? Plug that real quick. Um, my DT author stuff is uh, just all of my book writing. Mm-hmm. DT2 author, my Facebook page. All of my book writing, I write children's books, sci-fi, fantasy. And a comic book I'm working on finishing is my comic book called The Nephilim Wars. Yeah, I remember hearing about that on Voice from the Underground. And it's a part of uh, my Lucifer, Soldier, Serpents, and Sin realm world and uh so just had some production issues had to get some things together so it's taking me longer than i thought but i'm still working on it that's still going to come out and it's talking about the first time the nephilim existed on earth was way back in genesis chapter six around the days of noah that's how old they are the age these are the angels that came down and started banging the the women right exactly they looked up (laughs) from heaven and said man them earth girls are hot (laughs) so Hotter than the heaven girls? That's that's crazy to me. So they, well, that's actually a plot point in my book. <laughs> okay. And so they uh, came and um, and started uh, making children, and uh, which was really a trip. <laughs> and uh, so my book is about the end of the thirtieth century, and something similar happens again, and how people react to it. And um, so, yeah. So I'm super excited about that and uh, working on that. And then I have another project called of the Cryo Caruto, 
Okay. And this is going to be a manga comic. And I, uh, once again, I'm so pumped about it. Um, I can't tell you everything. Everything I say will be a spoiler. Okay. So the only Fair thing enough. I can say is it's uh, a group of heroes that have cold powers on a hot planet. <laughs> but everything about how that happens, there's, uh, there's again, anything I say will be a, spoil- sure. a spoiler, but there's a lot going on there. And I have had so much fun designing these characters. I've made so many original characters. And uh, so I, that's another one I can't wait to drop. But, I mean, I have so many more planned out. I just can't talk about them yet. You uh, have I ideas sure and you know, ideas. Drop them. So I'm dealing with making sure my children's book launch, you know, goes well. And then I want to get my comic, my initial comics out. But then also I'm following up on my sci-fi and fantasy novels because I know people have been waiting a long time for me to, to come out with my sequels, but I've been working on them, trying to get them right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that'll be happening probably in the fall, the more sequels to Soldier, Serpents, and Sin, and my Toxic Earth series. So I have quite a bit, quite Jeez, a bit that man. I'm working on. That That's insane. <laughs> I don't know how you keep it all together. I, I've uh... Uh, No sleep. <laughs> well, I'll let you get some sleep. I really appreciate you jumping on here. I know I'm, I can, do you mind if I plug your website real quick? Not at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. So it's uh, David Taylor two the number two dot net, um, and you can find all of this stuff and anything that's upcoming. I'll probably get up on there too, right? That's right. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, and um, whenever you have more time to chat, I would love to have you back on because we've only scratched the surface of how interesting I think you are. So, well, thank you. I said appreciate that. And this has been great. This has awesome. been great. So yeah, I'd love to come back. Awesome, man. 